Of course, I had opportunity to play with some great players on those national teams. Some of the fellow Hall of Famers like Lej Dražen Petrović, Dino Rađa, Vlade Divac, but many other great, great players. At this time, I would like to thank this gentleman here, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. for kicking my butt during the Olympics in Barcelona and then, and then motivating me to work even harder to become an important part of the Chicago Bulls. My sincere gratitude goes to Mr. Jerry Reinsdorf and the late Jerry Krause for insisting on bringing me to the Bulls and believing in me as a player when it wasn't common for non-American players to play in the NBA. City of Chicago, thank you. City of Chicago and its people have welcomed me and my family from the beginning, and I want to thank Bulls fans for their continued support. I had three unbelievable years winning the championships and playing for some great coaches, greatest coaches in basketball, Phil Jackson and late Tex Winter, and practicing and learning from the greatest players, again, Hall of Famers, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, but the others as well. I always said that our practices at that time were harder than many games that we played. Also, I would like to mention other teams that I was a part of. Benetton Treviso, Philadelphia 76ers, Atlanta Hawks, and Milwaukee Bucks. I had a great time playing for these teams and I want to thank them all. Many thanks Thank you. Many thanks go to my agents, late Luciano Capicchioni and Herb Rudoy. There are many other people that I didn't mention today, but they all helped me along the way and they all have my gratitude. And for my friends who are here tonight making this night even more special, thank you all for coming. What's up, everybody, and welcome into the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. I am Jonathan Hood, and do you know, as we record this on September 13th, we are 37 days away from the NBA season starting. <laughs> it's crazy, right? We are back. So good to be back providing basketball content with you. Of course, you can catch this show exclusively on Spotify. And we appreciate the Cap and J Hood audience listening on the ESPN Chicago app as well. If you love basketball, you've come to the right place. Basketball is Hood. Well, this is a Hall of Fame edition of the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. As you heard at the top, Tony Kukoc from the Chicago Bulls, three times NBA champion, was able to go to Basketball's Hall of Fame. And he named some players from the past. That really resonated with me. Dino Raja, he talked about Vlade Divac and Petr- Petrovic as well. There's been a number of international players that really have 
turned basketball on its ear. I remember in the early 90s watching the NBA and seeing the influx of talent coming in from Europe, from all over the world. And even though it was great to see Michael Jordan, of course, the greatest ever to do it, and the Bulls championships and the Lakers championships and the Celtics championships, the game became global, starting with Michael Jordan, but also the number of international players that came over to really change the game in a big way. Dirk Nowitzki is another one that comes to mind as well, and so many others. In that time, it was different to be able to see the way someone that's 6'8", 6'10", that could be able to handle the rock and be able to knock down threes and go to the basket as if they were a 5'10", or a 5'11", point guard. But it just shows you how the game has evolved from the time that the Bulls had their championships all throughout the 90s and watching the ebb and flow of the basketball season now from year to year. It's amazing how the game has gotten so much better as far as the ability to shoot the basketball, the international flavor, and everything else. So it's uh, very, very interesting. So we will talk about the Hall of Famers that went into the Basketball Hall of Famer the weekend because it was a because it was a stud of a class, that is for sure. So as I mentioned, we heard from Tony Kukoc, and what I remember about Tony is how, as he mentioned in his Hall of Fame speech, how he was dominated by the Dream Team, especially with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, because they were aware that Tony Kukoc was someone that was catching the eye of Jerry Krause, the then general manager for the Bulls. And so they crushed him. The next time around, I think Kukoc played a better game. It's all in the Last Dance documentary. But you could just tell that whoever the opponent was, including Tony when he played, it was an opportunity for the Dream Team, and especially those two Bulls, Jordan and Pippen, to crush Tony Kukoc. And then Tony Kukoc comes to the team, and he brings a different element. He was the waiter, a guy that is, again, at 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", the ability to put the ball on the floor, to go to the basket, to knock down threes. He had a number of big game-winning shots. As you well know, Scottie Pippen and Tony Kukoc did not see eye-to-eye, or maybe Scottie didn't have see eye-to-eye with Phil Jackson because there were a number of plays that were drawn up for Tony, game winners, uh, in which Tony was able to knock it down. And, of course, we'll never forget the 1.8 seconds. Um, we'll never forget... 1.8 seconds on the clock, and they draw a play up for Tony Kukoc, and Scotty didn't want to go in. Bill Cartwright is telling Scotty, you got to get in the game, and Tony hits the game winner and, and wins the game for the Bulls. But he had the penchant to be able to do that uh, as a player. And again, I hadn't seen players on a regular basis that size that could be able to do the things of a point guard, but Tony was able to do that. So his impact to the game was pretty uh, stellar, I thought, for sure. Others that went into the Hall of Fame was another former Bull. I'm sure Ben Wallace has memories of being a Bull, but he really is a Detroit Piston. Ben Wallace, the undersized rim protector. So away from the hair and away from the big muscles, Ben Wallace was a guy that was not looking to score. He was a guy there that was a master at being able to block shots. So you you see Wallace on the floor, and you see a guy... Again, not, not at seven foot, but at six nine with shoes. He was a big issue for teams because of his ability to block shots. He was a, a ultimate rim protector. He wasn't a guy that was trying to score a lot of points. He it was a strong rebounder, but also someone that specialized in being able to block shots. So um, I really liked that. I didn't like the idea that Ben Wallace couldn't be himself with the Bulls. You know, there was this, um, if you remember, Ben Wallace was with the Bulls. 
and he cannot wear his headband. It was the, kind of the vintage headband that Ben Wallace would wear with the Pistons. And so there's a no headband rule with the Bulls, which I just thought was silly. I mean, you bring a guy here that is a great shot blocker, you think you just kind of bend over backwards to allow him to be comfortable. That was not the case. Uh, it wasn't until Wallace landed with the Detroit Pistons uh, via a sign and trade that sent Grant Hill to Orlando that he started regularly at center. And within two seasons, he was the Defensive Player of the Year. And within four seasons, the Pistons were champions uh, as part of a streak of four consecutive trips to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's how good Ben Wallace was. How about Paul Pierce? Paul Pierce as the modern wing, right? So Paul Pierce, uh, a guy that can handle the basketball, shoot and rebound, uh, which was a novelty during uh, Pierce's prime. Here's a guy here that um, was a terrific player, could give you 25 points a game, six rebounds and five assists, could give you two or three three-pointers a game, shooting 39% from the floor during that time. And also, you think about his most productive season, Pierce, his most productive individual season was um, was in his time with the Boston Celtics. So you, you think about the Celtics, they went 24-58 and 58 one season when Pierce missed 35 games, but yet still had a really good season. But not until the next summer when the Celtics were able to have Ray Allen and KG on the team, Kevin Garnett, and then Pierce's full skill set came to the play. The 2008 championship happened for uh, Paul Pierce, and it was just amazing. He was a very, very solid player, the glue of the team. Here's what I remember. I remember the voice of the Celtics coming on a Chicago Bulls kind of Chicago Bulls weekly show. Mike Gorman, the voice of the Celtics. We had him on to preview some game. And I asked him, I said, you've been with the Celtics for a long time, you and Tommy Heinsohn as a broadcast crew. I said, tell me if you had to have one player all time to be able to get the game-winning shot, who would it be? It was a layup of a question, right? I thought he'd say Larry Bird. Dude said Paul Pierce. And I'm thinking, wait, Gorman has been with the team since the 80s, at least the late 80s. And I said, Paul Pierce? He goes, yes. If I had to have one shot to win a game, I'd take Paul Pierce. And I said, Larry Bird was on the team. He says, yep, that's how good Paul Pierce is. I would trust him with the ball in his hands to be able to give me the game-winning shot. And that was said a lot about Paul Pierce as a player. Let's see. Oh, Chris Bosh. So we see, it's commonplace now for us to talk about the stretch five in the business, right? When we talk about basketball, we see Chris Bosh. And what I will remember about him is seven seasons with the Toronto Raptors and his first two with Miami. Bosh never made more than 12 triples in a season. But Bosch was sidelined nine games because of an abdominal strange and his absence with Eric Spolstra, and they went small, moving Battier into the starting lineup along with LeBron James uh, at a forward and then a single big man. So Bosch was a guy that proved that he can be able to knock it down. He wasn't scoring a ton from the outside, but the point is, though, is that his wingspan, how big Bosch was, where he can move into a five and be physical with other players. As I mentioned, I know about the two championships with the Miami Heat, but I always remember him as a very solid Raptor. It's kind of like what Zion Williamson is going through right now in New Orleans, in which you know that Williamson at some point probably will move on. 
And I thought the same thing about Chris Bosh at the time. I was like, Bosh is a really good player. It's a good team, but he's not going to win a championship by himself in Toronto. He ends up having to be with uh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, and they're able to put the big three together, and they win a couple of championships. So I, I really res- respect Bosh. I'm so sorry that his career was cut short because of, uh, of an illness and blood clots where the doctors were like, man, you can't play because you'll, you, know, you, you may never play again. You never may ever see your family again based on the seriousness of what's going on with you physically. I know it frustrated Bosch. I've heard him in many interviews talk about, man, I wish I could be able to play. Um, and so he wasn't able to play, but he had a Hall of Fame career. So congratulations to Chris Bosch, a great career with the Raptors and, of course, with the Miami Heat with those two championships. Ah, uh, Chris Webber. Ah, the playmaking for Chris Webber. Man. Man, I'm a big Chris Webber fan. And it goes back to the Fab Five in Michigan. And watching Chris Webber just handle the basketball. And, of course, just being that just awesome player on the inside. Watched him with the Washington Bullets. I said, this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer one day. Just, ba- I mean, aside from the timeout, the missed timeout called as a young player in Michigan, I said, you know, he'll get past that and he'll have a terrific career. And he did. Chris Webber watched him with the bullets and I thought, man, he's going to be something special. So I, I enjoyed watching him. He had some really, really quality Sacramento Kings teams. It's interesting because Chris Webber played in a Princeton offense with Sacramento under Rick Adelman, who also went to the Hall of Fame. Uh, the Pete Carrill. Uh, system because Kirill was an assistant with the Kings during that time. Man, Weber and Flade as a one-two punch, man, that was a liability for a lot of teams because you think about from the elbow to the basket, those guys can rim protect and those guys can be able to go right to the basket. They were very, very good. And so you look at the career of Chris Weber and just the way he was just so aggressive going to the hole, I'm very happy for him to go to the basket and go to the Hall of Fame. Let me point this out very quickly, and that is to see Chris Weber and Jalen Rose on the screen together. I saw them on ESPN, and there had been beef between those two for a long time. And to see Chris Weber and Jalen Rose together being able to squash their beef on television, man. I can't say that I didn't have a tear in my eye because those are two brothers that had a disconnect for a long time. I don't know the entire story of it, but I just know that when they you had the Fad Five and that documentary, Weber was not there because it was really pushed out there by Jalen Rose and and Weber wasn't there. And now to see Weber and Rose when they were together on TV and just how happy Rose was for Weber to get in the Hall of Fame, I just thought that was really cool. So I was happy that as far as I know, their beef is squashed and they could be together because they were brothers. All those guys were brothers um, on that Michigan team, um, that Fab Five team, which was just tremendous, that is for sure. I am going to call Scoop Jackson and get his thoughts about the um, Hall of Fame class. Tony Kukoc and Chris Weber and Ben Wallace and uh, Paul Pierce and Chris Bosch and others right here on the Underhood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings. My man, 50 grand is Scoop Jackson from ESPN.com as we talk about the Basketball Hall of Fame right here on Under the Hood. Scoop, man, it's been too long, man. Thanks for coming on the show. No, man, anytime. Way too long. But we, we, we get it in when we can get it in. So that's what makes it special. You know, it's interesting, Scoop. You always have something in the lab, and we I don't know about it until it just 
explodes on the internet. Are you working on something that we all should know? Uh, actually, Hood, man, to be honest, the answer is yes. I'm actually, okay. I'm actually working on probably the biggest project I've ever worked on since I've been for ESPN, since I've been at ESPN. Um, we're doing, um, a, a, a project for Black History Month that is kind of going to find space throughout ESPN properties, uh, over the course of the entire month. Mm-hmm. What will culminate into a short documentary on black cowboys and black rodeo. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so oh. we're going to have a small, like, 10-minute, possibly, maybe 8-minute feature for Sports Center um, Vignettes, hopefully, uh, that we will air small uh, vignettes that are going to run throughout the month on .com and with the undefeated. Um, and then either a 30 minute or an hour, which we still, we're fighting for the extra half an hour. Cause in the middle of telling the story, uh, the producer Del Malden, you know, and I have like come to the conclusion that, you know, to write it at least needs an hour instead of the half an hour that was discussed at the top, but we, we hope the hour, uh, end of the month for, um, for the network. Mm-hmm. So that's the deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's a business. It's a big deal because it's not just about the current status of, um, you know, black rodeo and black cowboy, but also going back and telling how our history as cowboys, cowgirls and radios help, I mean, and rodeos help build this country. And that story has been erased and we're going back and bringing that story back to life. You know, um, a part of our, you know, participation in building this country. So let's see if I could twist your arm. So that, does that mean you'll be spending some time in Philly? Because I, I did, well, see, I did see the Idris Elba movie. Yeah, Concrete Cowboy. Here's there are there are places like that all over the country, okay. and we're highlighting a few of them. Um, but no, we're not necessarily going to that neighborhood in Philadelphia. Uh, we're probably we're trying to get Idris to speak on camera, but uh, we're definitely getting Jonathan Moore. Um, but Idris just because he's doing the next movie, The Harder They Come, which is another sort of black western uh, movie. <clears throat> but um, we're getting. Um, Jonathan, uh, more to do. Uh, he's sitting down with it. Danny Glover, getting Glenn Turman. Um, uh, I don't. I, and, and we, actually, we may shoot. There's a, there's actually a neighborhood in Inglewood, in California, that is a that you know is still rooted in cowboy, black urban cowboy culture. It's very similar to the neighborhood in Philadelphia that um, Andrew shot when they did Concrete Cowboy. Uh-huh. So we may hit one of those we've been kind of all over the place and um telling the story is the cast that's still existing that are the quote-unquote heroes that built uh the black cowboy culture um and we haven't got to the neighborhood side of that yet um and we're still centering it on rodeos as opposed to just doing neighborhoods as well so it's we're probably gonna get to one neighborhood jonathan to get there, but we don't i don't know if we're gonna get that to that specific neighborhood in philadelphia that they highlighted yeah, I'm very interested in that story. So that's why I had to ask you. I knew you were working on something, but you but you didn't tell me. So now we know. So this is going to be always very interesting because it's educational. It, let, it lets people know what's going on, that it's not just in one neighborhood. This is something, as you mentioned, all over the country. So I look forward to that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and young, young, young individuals, you know, we're telling the story of how, like, uh, you know, people forget rodeo is a sport. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 you know, without us knowing that history of that, we forget 
that not only as, as, as black individuals, we were part of building this nation, you know, the whole how the West was won and all that. Right. But the stories of like Bass Reeves, who was the original Long Ranger, who they stole his story and gave it to the Long Ranger, you know, how the original Marlboro man was a black guy, you know, and we don't even understand, you know, we don't even know that story of how <clears throat> the original cowboy was never white at all. Mm. You know, that, that was us. And telling that story and how the original uh, understanding the, the the cattle rides and the trail rides and all that stuff and, and all that came from Africa and came from Mexico, you know, and how that the entire history of this has been co-opted and we have been erased from it altogether. So, we, you know, we're telling that part of the story as well and, and going into the heroes like uh, the Murders Dykeman, who is the Jackie Robinson of Rodeo. It's, you know, who actually, uh, David Ayala and his production company are doing a film of him for, C- uh, for Viacom. And CBS, they just signed a deal to do a, st- I don't, is, are they, no, they're doing, he's doing Bass Reeves' life. And um, my guy from uh, Lovecraft County, Jonathan, is doing um, Murder Dykeman. So now, not only are we doing it at ESPN, but seeing more of the stories of people that we're featuring in our documentary getting time on feature films being told about them in Hollywood. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of the wrongs that have been done over the course of this, you know, two, 300 years of erasing the black cowboy, uh, is kind of coming back to the forefront. And then, you know, um, a, a lot of uh, wrongs are being right now. I'll put it that way. I love that. I love that story. As we do this here on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast, Jonathan Hood with you. Um, so the Basketball Hall of Fame takes place. I'll start uh, with Tony Kukoc and that story of Tony. Um, I think that uh, the Last Dance documentary told a great story of uh, how Michael and Scotty felt about Tony. But what are your memories about his story and him becoming a player and an NBA champion three times? Well, I, Tony was just funny to me because. I was looking at one of these things they posted online about Tony's career and, you know, and, and the accolades he had. Uh, and it was interesting. They put in there that he was one sixth man of the year, you know. And Tony, to me, was for the Bulls, the man of Ginobili before man of Ginobili. Mm-hmm. He was took a part of that second three-peat because of the role he played and what he gave them offensively and what he gave them. Well, not only just from a scoring standpoint, but also from a ball handling standpoint. Um, I... I was one of those people that watched Tony and heard all the talk about him and attributed that more to Jerry Cross than I did Tony's skills. I, you know, we all thought that hearing how good he was and how young he was, I didn't take that thing back in the day when Michael and Scotty went at him as, as deep as some people did. I don't care if he's the greatest things on, on, on sliced bread. You know, if, if, if there's no way a, a, a teenager is going to withstand an onslaught of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. They were pro ball players who ended up right. in the Hall of Fame way before the Kukos coach that couldn't handle that onslaught. So, you know, to say he wasn't ready for the NBA because of what Mike Scotty did to him when they first went up against that's fair. That's totally unfair, but that was more of Krause's, in my mind, back then, you know, manipulating his way and not only finding talent, which I do give Krause credit for. He was, he was an expert at finding talent. But doing it in a way that he knew would kind of, you know, upset. You know, he's bad. You know, throwing shade at him. I, you know, Cross yeah. knew what he was doing. I thought that was always unfair to Tony. Uh-huh. I've always, I always thought that, like, man, why are you, you know, if you really cared about this, this 
the last thing you be doing to him, especially the body. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because this is going to be a personal affront because of the payment. You know, no, you're not going to you're not going to give Scottie Pippen a contract extension, but you're going to give this kid more money than him coming in. Come on, man. You know, you know what you're doing. And I always thought it was unfair, to Tony. And I've always been Tony Kukoc, Kukoc, for being able to survive that and have a career and not wilt under that. You know what I'm saying? Because as much as the Bulls and Michael and Scotty field, you know, preach that. You know, we're all teammates. We're all in this together. Jonathan, you've been coming this much, if, if not longer than me, then as long as I have. You know when money is at not at the forefront, but is in the middle of whatever your relationship is with somebody, mm-hmm. it's going to take a toll. Sure. <laughs> it's yes. going to take a toll. Yes. You know, and, and, and the, you know, Reinsdorf and, and Krauss, you know, paying Tony over the course of his career more than they did Scotty was a shot at Scotty. But the fact that they was able to coexist and not let that break them apart, you know, says a lot about the, uh, you know, the players. It's a lot about Tony to be able to sustain it. It did my heart good to see um, Chris Webber and Jalen Rose on camera on ESPN. I don't know about squash their beef. Maybe that's the case, but at least they were able to, Jalen was able to give Chris his flowers for him being in the Basketball Hall of Fame. But I really love Chris Webber from Michigan to being with the Bullets and the Kings. Um, how, how much did Chris change the game for you from college through the pros? Yeah, and that's what made Jalen up there. But all of them, I, th- I think Chris understands that uh, he would not have gotten into the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for Jalen and Jimmy, you know, and, you know, Jawan. That, that whole crew was part of that. I think they understand the other, you know, the other side of that. I think Jalen and Juan and that, you know, the whole Fab Five understand that Chris represents them in the Hall of Fame. You know, so I think they work hand in hand. I think they're looking at a situation where, yes, there was beef, but they're grown men now. You know, and grown men know how to compartmentalize things and put them where they need to be. You know, I, I don't think any beef anymore. This will be, of course, there may be some harder hurt feelings. You know, we'll see after Chris and Jalen do that uh, NBA players only thing that Kobe and Shaq did. You know what I'm oh, saying? Man. Magic and Isaiah. Once they, you know, that will put to the side, which I think is important. But for right now, they're grown men and they understand the magnitude of this moment. Uh, for me, it was never about Chris individually to me, even though he was the best player on that squad and the best player a lot of times with the teams he went with. Uh, Chris changed the game for me because he was the best part of something. Um, the, the, and, and it wasn't necessarily the fact that these five brothers, you know, were basically all three of high school All-Americans. I can't remember. But they all decided to go to the same school at the same time and do this as a unit. Jonathan, if you remember, to me, that was secondary mm-hmm. to them all, well, all of them being Prop 48 casualties, mm-hmm. where you had five young black teenagers all academically eligible to play D1 basketball as freshmen. That's what got me about them. That's what changed the game for all, for, for me, more than any about all of them. So it was never Chris alone, but I knew he was the central part to this. You know, I th- Juwan was the one that glued the kitten together, but Chris was the best one of that group. And that's where I think he changed it because he showed us what youth can do at, you know, at a high level. 
you know, uh, playing against, you know, what was cream of the crop back then as far as college basketball was concerned. And this is way before, you know, you started high school kids the pros. But they showed you that able to, they probably were able to play pro basketball, you know, as freshmen. Because you, know, you just don't come into the NCAA and make finals two years in a row without being able to have like, NBA-level talent at that time. And they did that. But the academic part is what got me because – John, do you remember as well as I do? Back in the day when there were hardly ever, you know, there, there weren't too many black kids that were, you know, McDonald's and Parade and Smith All-Americans right. that were getting the freshman at D1. It was everybody's going their junior college route, you know? Right. But those five changed, that's how they changed the game for me just as much as they probably did on the basketball court. Um, and secondary for Chris, what he also did with credit for, um, they changed it for me. If you remember back in those Lakers series when they were playing Sacramento and Shaq was beasting on everybody, right. it was Chris Webber that was the one that decided to guard Shaq. Mm-hmm. Like, he knew he was going to take that ass with him, but at least he was man enough to take <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> right. And seriously, that, that, that to me, when everybody else was scared to guard him, Chris was like, nah, I'll take him. Game in and game out. He's the power forward. He's not the center. He's the power forward. He's like, nah, I got him. You know, and then you asking him to score twenty and give you ten on the other end, but he was man enough to back on back in the day, and that 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 to me solidified, you know, Chris Webber's career and showed me what he was really about. What are your memories of Paul Pierce, especially with that championship team with the Celtics? Paul's a little different, man, and uh, to, for me because I look at him differently. Um, I, my whole thing with Paul was not necessarily what he did with the Celtics, but one, he and Antoine Walker were able to do with the Celtics. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, right. He and Antoine rebuilt the entire uh, Celtics franchise. Now Antoine wound up leaving, you know, before he was able to get that ring with them, but he wound up getting one in uh, Miami, so it's all good. Uh, but he and Antoine—I mean, Paul and Antoine—set up something for that KD and. Ray John Rondo and Ray Allen and, you know, Doc Rivers could come in and complete, you know, what he and Antoine had carried on for so many years. Very similar to what Steve Kerr did, you know, after what Mark Jackson set up in Golden State. Mm-hmm. You know, they came in and sealed the deal. Um, but with Paul, man, it never was about what he did in Boston to me. It was about what he did in Kansas, what he did in L.A. and what he represented as that L.A. ball player. Mm-hmm. And we, Paul and I, have had conversations about this. Like, to me, for Paul Pierce, winning that NBA title was not as important as him going down as one of, if not the best ball player ever come out of L.A. Now, see, people wow. don't... It, right. See, oh. now, if you really think, think about all the guys coming out of L.A., and Paul and I have had this conversation, how important is that to your career? Because... You know, if you look at like an Isaiah Thomas, so you look at Derrick Rose, you know, now, and, and you can look at Dwayne Wade also, since, you know, we're considering people Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, if you ask them, you know, what is your legacy? The rings are going to be important. But I'll tell you right now, Isaiah Thomas will take that title as being the best ever in this city right alongside that ring right. because of who comes from this city. And those championships you win every year. You know, being the best out of a city like Los Angeles or Chicago, that's a lifetime achievement award. And very few people get to hold that. Paul Pierce, that has always been our conversation. 
is he the best player to ever come out of L.A.? Now, we had this conversation between before, like, the James Hardens came around, before the Kawhi Leonard's and the Russell Westbrook's. This was, you know, when he was in we would have these conversations and how important that was for him. And so when I look at Paul Pierce, it's not the Boston days, man. It's looking at his legacy and what he really represents. And before the aforementioned players that I just mentioned, you got to look at Paul Pierce as probably being the one, if, you know, along with Marcus Johnson, you know, and a few other cats. But he's at the top of that list of one of the best to ever come out of L.A. That's saying something, man. That's saying something. You know what? And people forget John, I'm sorry to get along. People forget. You remember Paul got stabbed? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's supposed to die. He's not even supposed to be in this conversation of having rings or in the Hall of Fame and all this, that, and the other. He got stabbed, what, I think six, seven times in the back? He, you know, he, yeah. That's correct. Yeah. So, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be, like, crass or anything, but, you know, look what happened to Monica Seles' career. Right. After she got there, you know, so, you know, what Paul did is, is you know, to me, way beyond what he did in the Boston uniform. I always look at Paul as bigger than that. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm thinking about names, right? I'm thinking about, okay, the first name that popped in my head was Gilbert Arenas. Yes. And I thought, he's on that list, too. He's, so, so that was the first thing I was thinking about. And I was thinking about some of these others. And I, I think you're right. Like, Terrence Stansberry in an NBA slam dunk competition. Yeah. Uh, and so... Here's the question. Will Clay give him the run for his money from L.A. himself, Clay Thompson? Well, here's the thing. I think at this point, and I'm, I'll be very honest with you. I think at this point, um, it's going to be tough for Clay to give him a run for his money uh, because of the shadow that he's under. And, and that Steph Curry's shadow is, is large. Right. It's large. It's large. He's going to suffer... The, the the same type of uh, shade under that cloud that Scottie Pippen faced playing in that Jordan cloud. It's, you know, some, sometimes it happens. And, and this is no disrespect to Scottie Pippen and no disrespect to Thompson. But I, I don't think they – well, I don't think Clay's going to have the opportunity that Kobe did under Shaq's shadow. Shaq had to leave. You know what I'm saying? Scottie didn't have that luxury. Right. Well, you know, not, not for – he had it for a year. And he showed us anything he could do. You know, but there's no guarantee he would have continued to win champion uh, Michael. So Scotty had an opportunity, and I don't think Clay's going to have that opportunity. You know, I think, um, you know, uh, he, that's what keep him from getting to that Paul Pierce level of conversation of being one of the best guys out of, you know, the Los Angeles area. But I will say this. I think now I do think that Russell Westbrook, James Harden and Kawhi Leonard have gone ahead of Paul Pierce in that greatest out of there. You know, I do think so. And that's honest because of what they accumulated. You know, uh, Paul did get a ring. That was beautiful. But, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to stack that up against not only the rings Kawhi Leonard has been able to get, but the fact that he's been a perennial top three, top five player in the league for the last decade. Mm -hmm. And Paul, you know, Paul fluctuated in that for back and forth, but he didn't have that type of resume while Leonard does. Uh, he doesn't have scoring championships James Harden does. You know what I'm saying? He, he doesn't have the MVPs during the regular season that James Harden does. That's going to be hard for him because even though he does have a ring, you know, the individual play that James Harden brings to the table and how James Harden is looked at as a once-in-a-generational type of scorer, Paul's not looking that way. 
You know, and I think, you know, the same can be said about Russell Westbrook. You know, the, the whole, you know, being this generation's Oscar Robinson as far as the triple doubles, the tenacity, you know, the MVPs. You know, I, I think those things individually placed them above Paul Pierce in a great conversation. But before he retired, I think he was top of the league. Gilbert was up there, too. You yeah. know, and if you go back, go back to the ground legends like Ray Lewis. Who was, who was, you know, the, the, the L.A. version of Billy Harris here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, where you talk about this all the time, whether they made it to the pros or not. You know, although, you know, I, I, Paul was there. He was at the top of that conversation before that next generation came along. And I, I, if you ask each one of them, I guarantee you they'll say that they looked at him as their inspiration to get to the NBA. I'm telling you, I bet Russ... And Kawhi, and you know uh, James Harden would be like he was LA after we looked at, and he's the one that gave us inspiration to let us know that we can make it because he came from here and we we knew we could make it. Um, other name I want to ask you about is Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace, yeah. who, I mean, here's a guy here with the Pistons was um, dominant, like an undersized guy that could be able to block shots. I don't. I didn't like his time here in Chicago, unfortunately, because they didn't give him a rough ride. To made him take his yeah. headband off. They made him, you know, take away his personality. His typical Bulls. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me, right? But I, right. Really, I really enjoyed what Ben Walsh became to be now a Hall of Famer. Here's the thing, man. And the beauty of Ben Wallace is that everybody talks about that '96 draft class and how special and unique it was. With yeah. you know, Iverson and Ray Allen and Kobe and Steve Nash and all that. People forget that Ben Wallace is in that class. Yeah. You know, and he's he's to me the person that tips the scale in that conversation of, you know, what's the greatest draft class ever? And to me, Ben Wallace is the one that tips the scale. You know, we can look at the 83 draft class. We can look at the 2003 draft class. Neither one of those classes have somebody at the, you know, at the, at the bottom of that list who almost, you know, the, the undrafted part of it that came up to become what Ben Wallace came, became. No, none of those classes have have that player. Not neither, neither one of those classes have a Pete Giacovic either. But no. <laughs> Ben Wallace is, in that, and to me that shows his importance to be, uh, you know, a part of an entry, a class that got entered into the NBA, and you basically unknown, uh, unknown amongst all that class. And now you've risen to, you know, one of the top six in that conversation because of what you were able to do. Um, that to me, that says all you need to to say about Ben Wallace, you know, and, and, and the fact that I, I don't know if we see a player and this is no disrespect to Draymond Green, but I don't think we'll ever see a player that has a team built around him from a defensive standpoint. The it did right. Yes, Chauncey Billups ran things, but you know, and I know that team was built around Ben Wallace. He was the piece that they built everything around. Everything we will. I don't think we'll ever ever see that again. You know, and Rudy Gobert is good, but he's 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 not Ben Wallace, and oh. they're, they're not gonna be able to build a team around him the same way they did Ben Wallace. He's he's a unique individual, and he's that player that I believe is coming from an HBCU. You know, a player that should always give individuals that still have those hoop dreams right. hope. He gives them hope. Because it's like if Ben Wallace can do this, you know, then hell. You know, what's my excuse for not doing it? 
Is there someone else in the draft class that I'm missing that you're interested in? Um, in what this draft class coming up? Yeah, no, what we just went through. I mean, I think we went through. I think the the top names in this draft class here that uh, really deserve oh, the, their shine. The, the ninety six draft class? No, the, this one here that we just went through. The oh, box. oh you know what? I didn't ask you about Chris Bosh. That's the oh yeah yeah so, yeah, yeah, so, yeah 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 yeah. Chris was Chris was I you know I get we we gave Chris a lot of heat back in the day because of the outwardly reduced role it seemed that he took once he got to Miami. Right. But a lot of credit has to be given to him for being able to do that. Once you saw that Kevin Love wasn't able to do it. You know, if you really look at Kevin Love and Chris Bosh's career before they both started to play with LeBron James, they're very similar. Numbers-wise, what they were doing, you know, they were basically all-stars on, you know, horrible-ass teams. You know, they, you know, people would say they had empty numbers, which really, I think it's harder to do when the whole target's about you and you still put up big numbers. So, just you're not getting wins. You know, you go, you go into the locker room and you're the, you're the only name on that whiteboard. And everybody on the other team is trying to stop you. You still give them a twenty-six and nine or whatever, you know. But Chris Bosh was doing in Toronto the same thing that Kevin Love was doing in Minnesota. You know, they were putting up crazy numbers. But Chris went to Miami with LeBron, and he still maintained All-Star status, even though it was third-tier status. You know what I'm saying on that team, right? In a reduced role, we still knew that. He was an all-star. He was still a, he was still somebody we had to mess with, and he may have reduced his identity, but didn't lose it. We thought Kevin Love was going to be able to do the same thing. That's correct. That's we saw that wasn't true. So, thing with Chris Bosh is that you had to appreciate how difficult that must have been for him to do it after you saw somebody who wasn't able to do it. You know, and and at, if anything else, that to give us more appreciation for, you know, what this guy was and what his career was all about. And it's unfortunate the way it ended, you know, situation. But, you know, had that not happened, you know, I'm not going to say he would have wound up staying in Miami. You know, he, he you know what, to be honest, if he had, if he had been healthy, he'd be gone to L.A. with LeBron. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Yeah, probably. He would have he wound up in L.A. with LeBron probably playing alongside Anthony Davis or whatever and probably getting another chip. And he, he'd have rolled it out, you know, like like Udonis Haslam wound up riding out with a Miami. <laughs> Bosch would have been on the sidelines to this day. They they never would have got Marcus off. They'd have been right. like, no, Chris, you just hold that down for right now. So Chris would have been fine. But I, I think um I think he's – I honestly, I think he's underrated. Yeah. And we don't give him enough credit for what he actually did. Uh, but just making the Hall of Fame – his importance uh, being beyond the LeBron James teammate or you know third wheel in the in three, he, he was much more than that. And uh, I'm see he got in because I think he deserved, I think he was a he, he's a Hall of Fame player as far as I'm concerned. He put up solid numbers on a bad team was an integral part of that and did something that we appreciate. But saw the next guy come up and it couldn't do it. Uh, 
lastly, I got to ask you about the goat, Bill Russell. Um, if, if there's any way that the that the league can give him any kind of award uh, for the basketball Hall of Fame, whatever it is, as a head coach, what, whatever it is, just keep giving him flowers. He's still yeah. with us. He he means so much to so many people. He he comes out to the All Star games and is able to give advice. I'm just glad once again he was presented with something. This time, uh, eight seasons as an NBA head coach, and of course he has. Let's see. What I ran out of fingers. How many championships? That's yeah, yeah. You got eleven and thirteen years, and yes. two of them as a head, two of them as a player and head coach. You That's know, right. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 to be honest with you, you know, he's the reason that Will Chamberlain, you know, isn't no disrespect, isn't the Babe Ruth of you know basketball, right? You know, he's you know once once Will Chamberlain got to Bill Russell, excuse my language. Yeah, yeah. You know, in all honesty, it really just did, and I. It, he's he's. Here's the question. Let me ask you this. Yeah. And I don't want to be disrespectful, but I'm not that they have to make up anything, but they should continue to acknowledge Bill Russell's importance to this game, especially at the Hall of Fame level. Correct. They should as coach, player, GM, whatever, whatever you want to give it to him, whatever he put his hands on. You know, it it it. It should be recognized. Do you think there can be a conversation, or should be a conversation, about his name somehow permanently associated with the Hall of Fame? I'm not saying, you know, it shouldn't be the James Naismith. It should not not be the James Naismith Hall of Fame. Right. But in some way, should Bill Russell's name be attached or included in the Hall of Fame? You know, with the Hall of Fame. I think it should be because he's the winningest player, coach, GM that we know. Absolutely. Because, if listen, if Jerry West is the logo, then Bill Russell should be attached to the Hall of Fame. Like if, you know, I know it's controversial for some to like move on with a different logo scoop, but the whole right. point is, is that Russell is the guy with the championships, and he's still with us. I think that that would be a great honor for him and the league. So too, because and I think he represents, you know, and not only that, but look at the social stuff that he was involved in that that, that led to the entire league, hell, this entire game being looked at as 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 one of the few sports we as black folks have in this country, right? You know, and he he was at the forefront of the, you know of, of being outspoken, and being on the front lines of the changes that we had as a black society, you know, back in the day. So, you know, I, I think the game has evolved into what it's evolved into in large part because of him and to what the game represents now. You know, I think that his name should somehow be associated not with an MVP award and something with the Hall of Fame. I I just don't know what it is. I don't know if it's fair to just like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Take James Naismith's name off of there like he's, you know, um, a, (laughs) a, 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 a statue. <laughs> All right. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's fair, but at some point, I think we do need to, you know, at least start the conversation of how do we get Bill Russell's name permanently included into, you know, into the Hall of Fame or anybody associated with the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves it. So you're saying that you want to get Naismith off his horse and just just take the statue down and put it in a museum? Is that what you just, said? Is that what you just told me? <laughs> well, you know what? You know what? That's you know that. In, in all all jokes aside, though. Yeah. That may be what we do uh-huh. and to push for, even though he just got a statue in Boston, 
why don't why doesn't that become the statue upon entrance into the Hall of Fame? Makes sense. The statue of Bill Russell. Yeah. Like you can keep the name James Naismith's Hall of Fame because he did a game of basketball. He's been given credit for doing that. I'm pretty sure if we did some history too. I mean some research that changed too, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah. But upon entering, when you go to Springfield, Massachusetts and you enter into the basketball hall of fame, that should be your first point of entry. I think Bill Russell. I like that. And, and everybody that goes by there should rub it like you do when you're at the Apollo. You rub that rock. You know, you know what I'm saying? You rub, <laughs> or you walk up to that Jordan statue outside of the United City, you rub it. It's the exact same thing. Every player that's into that, you know, that 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 should be it. I think that should be it. He should be, he should be, he should be that person. Uh, shout out to Jay Wright from Villanova. Shout out to Bobby Dandridge. Man. For the bullets, also in the veterans Man. committee. I don't know what took so long for Bobby Dandridge. Nineteen points a game, seven rebounds, uh, three assists, tw- uh, thirteen seasons with the Bucks and the Bullets. Uh, Bob- Bobby was around for the Bucks championship, so I, I don't Man. know what took so long, but he's in, so I'm happy for that. Man, now, hey, so wait, 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 wait. He was around. I mean, he was an integral part uh, of that Bucks winning it. You know, Oscar and um, and Kareem. A lot of credit for that. But man, please, you know Lucius Allen and and, and and Bobby Dad, come on, man. Bobby D was that dude. When the captain came in to Pfizer form, I said, "Oh shit, things have changed." I I, I said <laughs> that the mood has changed. When he walked in, I'm like, "Now the Bucks are gonna win the championship because you got inspiration right there." Yes, exactly, 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 man, exactly. That- but it did. It took him too long to get in. But I'm glad, you know. I'm, I'm glad they recognize it. Yeah, but, you know, Jonathan, we have to also get to the point that there are certain players that should be in the Hall of Fame, and it's not about giving them flowers, but the ones that should be in the Hall of Fame that aren't, we need, especially you and I as, as members of this media, we need, we need to make sure we have their names at, you know, at the forefront of everything we say all the time to give them the recognition that they deserve as opposed to waiting for some veterans committee or whoever you know voters are to recognize their contributions to the game you know you mean like rick adelman i'm talking like a rick adelman i'm not specifically th- I'm, 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 wait 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 I'm, I'm, I'm specifically i'm specifically wait i'm specifically talking about you know the uh, the, the the non-rick adelmans <laughs> of the sport <laughs> But the, you know, but not, no, no, no disrespect. But like the Bobby Dandridge took so long, took too long. Yeah, you know the uh, um, it, hell the the, the Bernard Kings took too long. Correct. You know there, there are people that should have been in a long, long, long time ago, and I think that's on us though. You know, especially being close, we need to like make sure that hey, who's next up? Who should be in here? We need to make sure we speak their names out so that even though. They're waiting on somebody else to validate their career. They don't need to feel like somebody else should validate their career. Like, I've had the career I deserve, you know, without having to get to the Hall of Fame. Because the people know. You know, and as long as the people know, that that, that means a lot to people. Well, I'm glad you spent some time, man. I just want to get your thoughts on uh, this Hall of Fame. It's an interesting class, and uh, there's some names that you and I both know, know very well, and they got their flowers. I look forward to next year's Hall of Fame as well. Yep. Well, we know we, we all campaigning Timmy in, right? Timmy Hardaway, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For See? sure. Yeah. 
That's what I'm saying. You know, cats like that, they need to be recognized. And we need to be like, ah, right, you know, Timmy, Timmy deserves to get in there. You know, and there's always going to be somebody to get in there. Even Rick Adam. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you get off the Cotton Fitzsimmons, you know, committee and get on that, maybe we can get Timmy in. So, you know. That's true. That's true. That's true. Let me, let me, let me, let me see. I can pull. Hey, man, as always, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Mine. I appreciate you, too. Scoop Jackson from ESPN is always working on stuff. And, of course, uh, in a lot of ways, a basketball historian and a longtime editor and writer for Slam Magazine. Great for him to be on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. By the way, the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. We ask you to download the app, look for DraftKings, type in the code WMVP for perks that you can get from um, the DraftKings app. They support us, so we want you to support them for the NBA futures and for the NFL and for other sports. Check it out. Just download the app, see if it's for you. And again, use the code WMVP when you do that. And I appreciate that as always. Shout out to um, Cotton Fitzsimmons and Rick Adelman, who are also part of the Basketball Hall of Fame. Val Ackerman, longtime uh, president of the WNBA from 1996 to 2005, got into the Hall of Fame. Clarence Fats Jenkins, an African-American pioneer uh, who uh, was a two-sport athlete, baseball and basketball, got into the Hall of Fame as well. We mentioned some of the highlights and a few others, like uh, Women's Veterans Committee, Pearl Moore gets in. She averaged 32 points a game for Francis Marion College and also was a uh, uh, the 4,000 career points is the most ever by a women's college basketball player. So Pearl Moore goes into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Jay Wright from Villanova goes in. And uh, and that is it. We mentioned Bill Russell and, of course, a couple of WNBA superstars like the legacy of uh, Lauren Jackson, who got in the Hall of Fame, a three-time NBA, a WNBA MVP. And uh, so she got in as well as Yolanda Griffin. Yolanda Griffin played for Sacramento and Seattle and Indiana, a WNBA MVP in 1999, a seven-time WNBA All-Star and a champion with the Sacramento Monarchs in 2005 and, and won a couple of gold medals uh, for Team USA in 2000-2004. So that is the class of 2021. We just want to do this special um, show for the Basketball Hall of Fame. And don't forget, we're just, gosh, Less than 40 days away from opening night for the NBA. <laughs> this is going quick, right? As we record this on September 13th. We will have more on the Bulls. We'll have more on some of the storylines around the NBA, including what's up with Ben Simmons? Is he going to get traded or not from Philadelphia? We'll have all that and more. If you're a basketball fan, tell people to download this podcast. It's the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook.